Welcome to Under the Lens. Come and enjoy an extraordinary, raw, and unfiltered podcast that delivers debate, discussions, and interviews about film, pop culture, and everything in between. Here is your host, film critic and journalist, Byron Lafayette. Welcome to Under the Lens. Today I have as my guest Jacqueline Keeler, a journalist and author of the book Standoff, Standing Rock, The Bundy Movement, and the American Story of Sacred Lands. She will be joining me to talk about Sachin Littlefeather, the Native American activist who made headlines when she took the stage at the 1973 Oscars. However, Sachin Littlefeather had a dark secret, and today on Under the Lens, Jacqueline Keeler and myself will talk about that secret, as well as the epidemic of pretendians, people who claim Native American heritage for gain, but who are not Native American themselves. It's going to be a great episode, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So, uh, so basically, if, uh, if you don't mind, can you uh, give me a little bit of a, a background, just like who, who you are, like, you know, some of the books you've written, um, you know, your, your profession and stuff? Yeah, uh, my name is Jacqueline Keeler, and I am a citizen of the Navajo Nation, uh, the uh, Diné people, and uh, and my, I'm born for uh, my father's people, the Yankton Sioux people, the Yonkton Dakota of South Dakota, and um, and I don't know if there's any Diné people <laughs> who listen to this, but I am Ikea Ani Nishle. My clan is Towering House, and I am of course born for the Yonkton Dakota and. And so, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, um, I'm a journalist. I, uh, live here in Oregon, uh, in the United States and I am a, um, I've been covering this issue of pretendianism for quite a while. I think I published my first article about in 2015, um, covering, um, Susan Taffrey that was carried in Indian country day and the daily beast. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I, my, I'm an author as well. I, my book came out last year, um, Standing Rock, and it looks at, uh, sort of 2016 when I covered, uh, the Bundy takeover of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge here in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I ended the year at Standing Rock, which is where my great grandmother was raised and her, her parents worked there for 40 years. So we're, we're Yankton, but we have ties to pretty much all the, re- the, the, the Sioux or Dakota, Lakota reservations. And, um, so, uh, but yeah, and then I, um, and then I had the book come out a couple of years before that, that actually probably 2017, so more than a couple of years, but, um, about called edge of morning native voices speak for the bears ears, which looks at the sort of, you know, looking at it from the, um, the, the way the tribes came together to create this monument proposal. And, um, and then, um, and then I have a book coming out next year, uh, which is called uh, "Letters to Oppenheimer from the Fourth World," mm-hmm. and it's uh, addressing the Manhattan Project and its impacts on Indian Country. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So, so I cover a lot of different topics. Um, this one really came. Um, I started this list that became kind of notorious: the alleged pretendians <laughs> list. And as a journalist, I've heard over the years um, when I when I contact Native uh, leaders on different topics, I keep hearing about like, well, this person's a fake, this person's a fake. Mm-hmm. And then they tell me the history behind how that person was outed. And then it's been kind of forgotten, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's it's sort of siloed information. Like if you were working 
uh, as an American leader of the 1970s in DC, you would know this, but otherwise, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, so, so I want, so the list is, it's not something I just made up. It's, mm -hmm. this is the work of generations of native people. And often they paid with their careers to, uh, to out these people and have been forgotten, you know, and have lost a lot out of it. And, and any, any country forgets. I mean, one example would be Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz, who presently has the best-selling book in Native Studies, Indigenous People's History of the United States. Mm -hmm. And she's been outed many times as a fraud. She's a, a fake Cherokee. And, um, you know, she opens her book with her author statement in the very first paragraphs. My mother was, I'm so ashamed of being Cherokee, she drank herself to death. So they have these very negative, stereotypical stories that basically are meant to prevent any questions, right? Mm -hmm. They're so, they just hit you in the face and you're like, well, I can't ask any questions. This they don't want people digging too deep. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So they kind of whack mm -hmm. you in the face first and stun you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, uh, and then um, she was actually called out on that actually last October on C-SPAN. She was promoting mm -hmm. a book and the, 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 the host, he's white, but he, he, he'd heard about the issue and he, mm -hmm. he said, he asked her if she was Native American at this point, she's denying it now. Uh -huh. uh, and, uh, and he was like, well, in your book here, you, and he read it out to her and she just looked uh -huh. stone faced. Like she didn't uh -huh. know, <laughs> she didn't know what to do. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. But she was outed by Suzanne Harjo, a very well-known Cheyenne and Muskogee uh, leader. Uh, she's the one that led the fight against the Redskins, mm -hmm. you know, and um and she was the one who first outed Suzanne Suzanne Harjo outed Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz back in the 1970s, right? Oh, and in uh -huh. fact, Suzanne was a bit um a bit upset at me uh, for putting uh, um for putting Roxanne uh, on the alleged pretendians list because she's like she's not alleged. I proved it. She is. <laughs> a uh -huh. And then in the 1980s, she was outed again in Aquasasne Notes, which is sort of the premier native uh paper uh during the movement years in the 70s and 80s in the united states and uh and by hank adams who is a, a who was a lakota um activist and leader um he was very active here in the pacific northwest with the fissions in the in the 50s and 60s uh very respected he outed her in the 80s and then again in the 90s she was outed um in indian country today in a series on pretendians done by ava little eagle a lakota journalist and presently she's um she's a the publisher of the teton times on the standing rock sioux reservation so so she was been <laughs> but somehow you know in 2020 you have these millennial native grad students writing papers with her on marxism Mar indigenous marxism they're like they didn't uh -huh. the message i'm like how could you get a phd and not know she's a fake you know what i mean exactly. so it just shows how this information is not generally known even though a lot of Indian people, you know, have done a lot of work on it. Mm -hmm. And and so I put this list together and it's it commemorates the work of so many Native people. Some of these people were disproven in court. Mm -hmm. You know, the genealogists were presented in, in, in the court of law and they were found to not be Native. I mean, these are many of them. These are definitive already. But um, so we had 200 initially. Uh, we froze it at 200. Mm -hmm. And um, we have we people keep sending us more. We have like a thousand more people want us to research. Wow. But uh -huh. we, we stick to the United States or mm -hmm. if they are people from uh, whose ancestry is in other countries like Canada or Mexico. Um, you know, contigu contiguous countries, uh, we uh, we only deal with it if they are claiming to be American Indian. Mm -hmm. They are speaking as, which is a political and legal status here in the United States, mm -hmm. right? And um, it's not just an, uh, um, descent. It's not just a, <laughs> a race. It's not DNA. It's a political 
thing. You know, uh, we're nations, you know, we're nationalities. You have to be a citizen to claim these things. And, and otherwise, you're not subject to Indian federal law. Your, your mm-hmm. family has never endured any of the policies, the federal policies mm-hmm. against your people. Mm-hmm. And you don't have, um, you know, American Indians, Native Americans have a land base, the homelands that are under occupation by the most powerful country in the world and whose homelands constitute the lower 48 states, the United States. That's the definition. If you don't meet that definition, don't call yourself American Indian, Native American, you know, or don't confuse it by saying indigenous. Be specific. You know, my family is from here. Our relationship was to this colonial government, you know, if it's Canada or Mexico, because it's a completely different set of experiences. And to sort of to sort of lean in and sort of claim another identity is 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 um is a form of appropriation and, and erasure. Because mm-hmm. you know, you have Sashi and Littlefeather saying, I'm the first Native American woman to be on stage at the Oscars. Well, you know, that hasn't happened yet, actually. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's been 50, you know, she claims it happened 50 years ago, but no, we're still waiting. So we have these false sense of having achieved things when we have pretendians taking those roles. Or, you know, I mean, technically we haven't even had an American Indian Native American woman at the Emmys, right? Those were First yeah. Nation Canadian women, you know. And mm-hmm. so that hasn't happened either, you know. So it's um so we need to actually know how we're doing, and we don't need these people falsely claiming things like we're actually achieving anything when really what's happening is that people who are play acting us mm-hmm. are having more success. And, and I think that because they lack the trauma directly tied to the U.S. colonial experience, they are more attractive to U.S. white mm-hmm. decision makers. Um, mm-hmm. There's no you know kind of weirdness about it. They can choose someone who, <laughs> yeah, it's either completely fake or they ha- or it's basically you know trauma adjacent you know a yeah. different colonial power is responsible yeah. for this not us so trauma I think, adjacent that's perfect yeah said. they just want to like they it's like they see us they turn away they see us they turn away they see us they turn away like i want this person this person this person so this is what you see so the um the displacement of native voices on in every field is like it's quite profound mm-hmm. um the pervasiveness of fraud is is really extraordinary i mean a local university here in Portland, we looked at their um, three of their indigenous faculty and they were all fakes. Wow. Uh-huh. And I get messages all the time from students who have to take their classes, mm-hmm. have to sit there and just nod their heads because they need the A and they need the recommendation mm-hmm. and just get along, you know, but this is a, this is a form of abuse, uh-huh. you know? And so the, the pretendianism is not a victimless crime. It's not something we should feel flattered about. You know, it's, it's quite aggressive. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, you know, when I was talking to a lot of these Native American professors, they would tell me that, you know, like, oh, you know, we've been trying to fight the appointment of this pretendian who we know is not Native. Um, but now we're being told by the deans that we're racist. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and um, and so there's this real resistance to checking, and they're quoting um, federal laws like the Equal Employment Opportunity Act. But yet we try. We did a um, a study on that. We found that there's actually a whole case law around that law that has an Indian exception specifically. (laughs) You know, I mean, when you tell the you know university that they're like, oh, oh, we don't understand. You know, and they just keep doing the same thing they were doing, which is relying on um, self identification which is um, just rife with fraud and, you know, doing a list of 200 examining them, we found only five of them were actually native. Wow. Only five. It's not a, um, it's not a, what do you call it? um, A randomized sample, obviously, Mm -hmm. but, um, but it, um, it is indicative that native people know who the frauds are. 
Jamie, mm-hmm. they have a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. And um, for uh, some of the folks, we were able to vindicate their claims. You know, um, one uh, Native woman, um, uh, Professor Julie Proudfit, you know, she's happy to be on the list because she's like, mm-hmm. I can point to this to my students and say, look, I'm, I am who I say I am. And she was 100% accurate in her description of her descent. Mm-hmm. We don't verify enrollment or blood quantum unless they claim it. We only verify stated mm-hmm. claims. Like, what are they saying they are? Mm-hmm. And um, and so most of them claim descent um, mm-hmm. and descent that they cannot exactly articulate. Mm-hmm. And so we have to look at their entire family tree, try to find someone of the tribe they are claiming in that tree. And, and so we end up building out these trees to be quite large, like thousands of people, and not even just their direct descent, but all their collateral relatives um, and so when you look at these old pilgrim families, you're talking about 12 kids in each generation, even mm-hmm. French Canadian families, it's this huge number. And you realize like, wow, these people really weren't that into us because not many of them are marrying Indians, you know, yeah. and uh, they're marrying each other. And so, um, so, but they, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, they often will say like, well, um, they call us paper Indians, people who uh. can actually document our native I mean, my grandparents were traditional Navajos who spoke their, who only spoke Navajo. They didn't speak English. Oh, uh-huh. I think that's paper, but to them, that's a paper Indian. Uh-huh. So a real Indian. They're the real Indians because their entire white family trees shows that they refuse to collaborate with the oppressor by actually getting documented mm-hmm. as Indians. This is really how far they've taken the argument. Like, uh-huh. the more if you have, the more Indian you are, right? Mm-hmm. And so we look at the, and sometimes it feels like going through these these massive white family pretendian trees that mm-hmm. we're trying to turn a white family Indian by finding that one grandmother <laughs> in the tree, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. And so it's like, yeah, so we we do that and um, and they don't like it because they're used to just swanning in, you know, you know, kind of cribbing notes about how to be Indian from what reading social media or cutting pasting, you know, uh, diaclitic marked, uh, you know, traditional names for themselves, all mm-hmm. these things, and they can decorate their Twitter uh, bio with it and create a whole persona. Mm-hmm. And then you have millions of Americans who have the eye on, they want to keep that door open to eventually race shifting. Mm-hmm. Right? So they're all like cheering it on and 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 just, but it's, uh, we're really outnumbered in this. I mean, the, the Kellogg Foundation did a study, a $2.5 million study in 2017, um, interviewing white people. This was mm-hmm. around the time of the mascot issue and, mm-hmm. and after Standing Rock. And uh, and what they found was that um, something like um, 30% of white Americans in this country think they are of Native descent. Oh, wow. 30%? <laughs> like 75 million people. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so it's a lot of people thinking they're of Native descent. And then how many of them are going to box check based mm-hmm. on that? How many of them are going to do more, like put it on the resume, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how many of them are going to apply for scholarships and stuff for Native Americans? Mm-hmm. Um, all these things. And um, and so so it, it can, you know, when you have 75 million people who believe something and who might do something for self-gain, mm-hmm. um, I think it's sort of a harmless endeavor and why you know, it's kind of unfair anyway that Indians get these mm-hmm. these preferential treatment and stuff like that. Um, you know, then you have, then it is an, an enormous number of people and then, you have folks like Sachin and her sisters told me, uh, I think I um, it's quoted in the article that uh, that basically she felt like that being Marie Cruz, you know, Mexican American descent was just not as special or interesting as being American. Yeah. Uh, so she didn't like her own background. So it was wanting to to take on something else. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. She would just just I mean, her mother was white and of German Dutch descent. Mm-hmm. She's they're actually descended from some of the original Dutch colonists that 
um, from New York, old New York, your New Amsterdam. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her family were Dutch nobility who came over here and basically settled Brooklyn. Right. Uh, that's, so, that's like on, on my mom's side was uh, not uh, not the nobility side, but um, but yeah, from the from the from the Dutch settlers that came over. Mm-hmm. Yes. And more recent, her great grandmother mm-hmm. was born in the, the Netherlands, mm-hmm. you know, so even more recent um, immigrant um, from the same place. And so uh, but that wasn't interesting enough to her. Mm-hmm. So she want, and, um, wanted to be Indian, you know, and and um, and, you know, one of the things I did with tracking down her claims, you know, to ascertain what are her stated claims is I went through hundreds of interviews with her over the years. I mean, she I think when I did the first search of, of all the interviews done with her over 50 years, it was something like 1800 interviews. Wow. Uh-huh. I mean, being blackballed. I think that's hardly being blackballed. No, but, um, the other end. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. yeah. So I went through wow. them. We also transcribed um, audio and video interviews with her uh, mm-hmm. so we can get that. A written account of what she was claiming and mm-hmm. and when i put that report together and it's on my Substack, and i had originally shared it with the sisters um they contacted me um uh, just a week and a half ago mm-hmm. <laughs> not very long ago and uh and they and i shared that with them and they were just like bold they were upset because um when you have a family member and, and they they, they sh- she is meant she was diagnosed as mentally ill um with schizophrenia and mm-hmm. and bipolar um, when you're dealing with a family member who is mentally ill and is mm-hmm. saying lies about your parents, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, her father was not only not Apache, but he was not um, an alcoholic. He didn't drink at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, she was uh, basically had appropriate his childhood story as her own. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. That's, and, yeah, he that's was the one who had the alcoholic mm-hmm. father, or their grandfather, George Cruz. He was the one that was orphaned. Um, his mother died when she was like 20, 20, I mean, very young, 22. And then he was the one that ended up in foster homes or living with relatives. So that's his story, right? And then at nine years old, he got meningitis and lost his hearing, right? But still, he managed to build a business. Um, Him, you know, he built both of their, he built their home and also his in-laws home, which was right next door. Mm-hmm. They bought they bought a plot of land in Salinas, which is John Steinbeck country, you know. Uh-huh. And um and so they um and so um on Camino Real they built so he built two houses and she's her the sisters showed me photos. It's they weren't shacks. They had mm-hmm. like the normal houses, you know, like well at the time period like a three bedroom, one bath ranch type mm-hmm. house. And then and then he built um their salary shop in front of it on the main mm-hmm. road. So second. And so they um so he uh so yeah so that was um so you know, he did all that and, mm-hmm. and so um and then he built they built their business together him and his wife you know he was a saddle Spanish saddle maker which was even then a dying art um you can see articles in the forties written about him as a young man where you know they're extolling the fact that he's continuing this tradition right. Mm-hmm. And um, and then his wife was a leather stamper, a very very talented leather stamper, and so their saddles today uh, go for like thirty five thousand dollars. Oh wow! Uh-huh. Art made by this couple, and to me that their story is way more interesting um, because mm-hmm. first of all they were you know a Mexican American man and a and a, a white woman in the forties, fifties, and sixties. Yes, uh-huh. you know, kind of before the civil rights movement, they made a life for themselves. The mm-hmm. sisters said they were fairly well accepted in Salinas. I mean, it's a, already a multicultural community 
from the get-go and um and then they um yeah they work together as a family to to help each other mm-hmm. she's completely changed that to be them them both being mentally ill oh. uh, and being a, a drunk indian man who beats his wife white white wife oh. you know, and they said there's no way he could beat anyone up because he was suffering from cancer and mm-hmm. they didn't he, they didn't give him um chemotherapy instead he was um basically they were cutting out all the the tumors so uh, his okay. was like a whole bunch of scars a railroad track of scars mm-hmm. even removed two of his ribs he wasn't around like running around beating up the family no. yes. uh, it was just like i mean and, and it's sad that you know here's someone who so one of the things the sisters told me was well first they thought this would all just dissipate mm-hmm. you know and uh but then with the honoring of you know the apology from the academy that the letter was issued in July and then it happened on September 17th. Suddenly all these fake stories about their parents suddenly were, was in the news again. You know? mm-hmm. And then, um, and then they were, and then of course when she died, then it was just all over the place and they were just like, this has to stop. And, and um, they, they did that. They spoke out for their parents, you mm-hmm. know, to restore their truth. And, and I do think that as a multicultural society, we need the actual stories, not these, mm-hmm. not these fantasies because, I feel that pretendianism flattens history, flattens mm-hmm. our history, because then we don't know all these interesting things. Like, how did a couple like that get together? How yeah. did they live together? How did you know the the white in laws you know fully support them? Do you mm-hmm. I mean? Um, I mean, their their grandfather, she said, was he was a printer and um, mm-hmm. to pay for them to go to Catholic school and then to pay for their college as well. Mm-hmm. He would commute two hours all the way to San Jose oh. on a Greyhound. <laughs> And uh, I guess four hours round trip and would actually be tight, ty- do the typesetting for the San Jose Mercury News. Mm-hmm. Oh, like you said, that's such a it's that's a fascinating story. And that's a really yeah. cool one. And how sad that it got completely buried and distorted for for, I mean, a generation, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's why they wanted to speak out. And mm-hmm. um, people are like, oh, why are you speaking out now? Well, I mean, when you're dealing with a mentally ill relative, you're just trying to manage the relationship as best mm-hmm. you can. Um, you know, they attempted to tell her to stop from time to time, you know, um, uh, but they said that she would just sort of, you know, um, purse her lips and look down. And then sometimes she would stop, sometimes she wouldn't, you know, uh, but they, yeah, it's, um, this is the issue. A lot of these people who we, I feel that pretendianism is probably some sort of mental disorder like narcissism. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to deal with it in a straightforward manner because these people won't stop. They just will not. And um and so it's um yeah and the sisters felt that it was probably some kind of well they felt like she had three personalities like oh, wow. i was asking them you know like was it like um was she like blanche du bois in the streetcar a streetcar named desire but they were like no she is more like um three faces of eve do you mean oh, wow. three personalities? yeah one was this really this they hardly ever saw the sashin person you know because mm-hmm. she um and they said the what was left to Marie Louise. They feel like their sister died um, around 1920 when she she went into a mental hospital. Yeah. Um, she attempted to attack her room. Well, Roz claims that she mm-hmm. attempted to attack her um, college roommate with a knife. Wow. At <laughs> and then she had the other girls in the dorm had to overpower her and wrap her up in a blanket. Oh, and then the, the authorities <laughs> came and then they put her in a straitjacket and took her to Agnew state hospital, which was a mental asylum. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so she was there for a year. It was after she got out of the mental asylum that she created the character of Sashin. 
And um, mm-hmm. so, uh, so to have our issues sort of in the grasp of a person like this, who's in the, the grasp of a, of a condition is really um, not helpful. And, mm-hmm. and Native people have also been contacting me, telling me ways in which she took credit for the work of actual Native people. Yeah, because yeah. I, I saw I saw in the article how it mentioned that she was always talking about like being at like the the Alcatraz. Um, yes. Event, but then she actually wasn't there. A lot of the founder, the um, organizers of it said she wasn't there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Lenata War, Dr. Warjack, um, she was the the um, president of the Native Students Organization at Berkeley at the time. She's the one that was one of the they they you know, she was part of the first group that led the takeover of the island, mm-hmm. and um and she was there every day for eighteen months. Mm-hmm. You'd have to live on the rock that long, you know, and um you get to know everybody who was there, you know. Yes, and they had to mm-hmm. sign in um you know process for you know their own safety, you know. Mm-hmm. So you can actually look up the sign in logs online. Mm-hmm. You know they published there online, and um and so uh yeah she's not in it. She never came. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she built a whole story about it. Um, she was associated with a Native family uh, in the Bay Area um, called the Nordwalls, and they were banished from Alcatraz because they tended to sort of um, do PR stunts, try to use Native people for PR stunts. And so um, so they weren't allowed to come on the island. I think they did. He did come on once and gave a Thanksgiving kind of reading um, mm-hmm. at Nordwall. But, but yeah, but generally speaking, they weren't allowed. So she, the family, she was kind of, doing stuff with, which we saw in the newspaper, um, the local Bay Area newspapers um, from 1971 or so, they started really reporting on her activities, you know, as a model, as, as, and she comes out right out of the gate. Like, I think it's in the report on Substack, but Mm -hmm. they were March, 1973, uh, declaring that she is, um, I mean, 1971, maybe even January, 1971, saying that she is uh, white mountain Apache. And I, so I was surprised at that because I thought that she would kind of start with Apache and then then mm-hmm. find an actual tribe to sort of, um, but she started immediately with a federally recognized tribe. And, well, yeah, and because from from what I've what I've read over the years with White Mountain, it's it's very um, you know like to be to be a member of that tribe, it, it, it's much more di- much more difficult, you know, from what I've from what I've read. Um, they have a very distinct mm-hmm. history, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I, I saw an interview she did in 1976 at a local. Um, um, show and um, a, a TV show on in the Bay Area, and she. Uh, uh, one of the things that the Chronicle editors really liked was the fact that it was such a San Francisco story. Uh, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. And um, and she uh, and there she's claiming that um, that the, the the her Cruz family um, that, that that it wasn't from Mexico. The name wasn't Spanish. That it was just assigned to them on the reservation. Hmm. She's explicitly giving a false story about her Spanish name and how, like, you know, and she was like, even our chair, our president, our chairman, or whatever the tribe, he has the name Lupe. But then I, um, I spoke to White Mountain Apache people. They viewed the video and they were like, first of all, we see she was comparing uh, the Apache situation historically to that of the Pueblos and the California Indian Mission folks, right? Mm-hmm. But see, Apaches and Navajos, and we're very closely related tribes. Mm-hmm. We we still speak the same language pretty much. And mm-hmm. and um uh we were no we were not easy to pin down because we were um sort of uh maybe um pastoral would be the right word, not nomadic. Mm-hmm. We were and so um so it was easier for us to stay out of the clutches of the Spanish. Um mm-hmm. with the you know Pueblos like Acoma and stuff like that, they were very discreet places where that could be occupied 
and then the people forced to in you know to to be catholic and stuff like that and and given new names that wasn't the case for navajos and and not for apaches either and uh, so uh so and yeah, and she also mispronounced their chairman's name it was lupi not lupe <laughs> yeah so uh yeah uh so they were like yeah this isn't right at all you know we never got spanish names um uh, like that and and she was and he asked her, like was it from intermarriage and she says no and they're like no yeah it was from intermarriage later on you know it's like I mean, Navajos, we have a clan, uh, you know, we, we actually um, sort of captured some Spaniards and Mexicans and, and made them tribal members. <laughs> and uh, they did that too. Uh, they, they, you know, Navajos were sold into slavery by Mexicans. Mm-hmm. Like that. And, um, and, 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 but those people, we don't know their Spanish surnames. Mm-hmm. You know, we've forgotten them. They be, we, we Navajo-fied them. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so they, all that remains is their, um, is the clan, uh, which is for Mexican Spanish clan, mm-hmm. and, and the surname, Nakai, Nakai, in Nakai, N A K A I, that means Mexican, right? And mm-hmm. so you will see Navajos with that surname, but they didn't, we don't know the original Spanish surnames of these people. <laughs> That's no. what you know, we, we, we Navajo fied them. They, yeah. we, we did the same thing to them that the Spaniards were doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, so there's no record of that really, you know, and so so she was making a lot of claims. And then I saw on Roger Ebert's website, um, she had her attorney send him a letter in 2005 claiming that Cruz was not her maiden the Cruz was her married name. Hmm. Yeah, completely <laughs> false. Her married name was Rubio, you know, uh-huh. and her and her her maiden name was Cruz. So she was really trying to push different stories and mm. And misrepresent the situation. And her sisters feel like they were, she would never talk about them because they refused to play along. Mm-hmm. She wanted them to dress up in any outfits and go to powers with her and stuff and, mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, bolster her story, but mm-hmm. they refused to do it. And they felt like it was insulting to tribes to do something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, um, so when the New York times obituary was written on October 3rd, mm-hmm. uh, the writer uh, didn't bother to contact the sisters. He didn't even know they existed. Um, the only uh, family member listed was um, a woman named Kalina Lawrence, who claimed to be her niece. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, in 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 Native American movement circles, people do tend to, will do will will call each other by different relation names that aren't mm-hmm. based on blood, you know, mm-hmm. and um, but adoption sort of. But uh, but she didn't clarify that in the articles or in the Washington Post. She's like, I'm her niece, you know, with no. Um, so the sisters were quite. Um, taken aback by that because they, you know, they don't have any children there are no nieces in the family it's just the three sisters there's no one else right and um i mean there are they have um relatives like um they have um relatives but they're, they're you know they're not they yeah that's another story but anyway they don't really know them very well and um and so um so they uh so rock uh roslyn tried to she contacted She's been trying to contact journalists since 2007. So this idea that they didn't say anything for so long is mm-hmm. the journalists just weren't listening. Mm-hmm. You know, they, so they were trying to get the story yes. out. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were being blown off, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so she tried. She did um, finally manage to get to talk to the um, reporter who wrote the obituary in the New York Times, and mm-hmm. and he wouldn't listen to her claims that they were not Apache, um, but he did include the names, her name, and her sister's name in as as um, you know um, 
surviving family members, right? So he uh, believed that they were family members, but he didn't. But he didn't believe the claim that oh, may, maybe, uh, maybe you know, she's not who uh, who she claimed to be. Yeah, I mean, the first line of the obituary was like the Apache Yaki, um, you know, activist and actress, you know, just mm-hmm. right out front. And she didn't start claiming Yaki until the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Kind of added on there. And um, and I learned more about the Yaki's. Uh, my goal was not to. Um, my goal was to basically. Um, my remit was to confirm her a claim to be American Indian, Native American, which would not include um, indigenous identity or experiences in Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. But I looked at it a bit anyway um, in Sonora, and I consulted um, a Yaki historian, mm-hmm. and also um, he did his doctoral thesis on Yaki history, and. In Sonora, and then also um, a um, um, a uh, Sunni um, professor whose specialty is California Indians and Sonoran Indians, mm-hmm. and we I mapped out where her family, all the documentation where they had been born and baptized using you know Catholic records in Mexico, um, her her grandmother's um, brothers, the Ibarra um, men's uh, military draft registration cards mm-hmm. from World War One and World War Two, where they put their birth book location on there mm-hmm. when they made a map of that and i showed it to them and and those were not yaki communities they were in a different part of sonora mm-hmm. um they were um, pima and uh tohono odin or we call the federally recognized tribe in arizona is tohono odin but the name is odom it used to be papago but that's kind of derogatory it means like potato eater in spanish mm-hmm. or something and so um so that's that part of sonora they were in but the um they also said that these were the communities that they were living in were not native communities these are communities where uh, native people would have been a minority and and people are often thinking that like mestizos you know this is a form of erasure of the the indigenous ancestry of mestizos mm-hmm. uh you know on average uh mexican citizens are 50 percent uh um, indigenous mexican mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. That's the average. So I'm not denying that. Mm-hmm. The whole goal is like, are they members of the tribes that she's saying, Jimmy? Mm-hmm. And um, and the Yaquis have a particularly um, really poignant and and tra- traumatic or tra- you know tragic history in Sonora. The mestizos in Mexico actually tried to commit genocide against the Yaquis. I mean, you can Google, uh-huh. um, you know, uh, Mexican Yaqui lynchings. Mm-hmm. And you can see photos of them lynching Yaqui people. Oh, they sad. have mm-hmm. laws on the books in, in Mexico where they would pay bounties for body parts of Yaqui people, oh. even uh, Yaqui women's vaginas. Oh, wow. Oh, how sad. Yeah. Oh, and then um, huh? his name, uh, I have to look at the dictator, um, Porfirio Diaz. He, mm-hmm. he, he was ruled the last 30 years or so in Mexico in the 19th century. He actually, uh, and his mother was clearly part Indian, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. He's Mestizo. A mestizo leader, and he actually sent, um, sent five thousand Yaquis into de facto slavery in the Yucatan to basically work them to death to mm-hmm. make baling twine for hay. Oh, yeah. Oh. I mean, I can't say that happened to either of my tribes in the United mm-hmm. States. I mean, the so the idea that just because someone has indigenous ancestry mm-hmm. that they are somehow politically on the same side mm-hmm. as um, as the Yaqui Nation is mm-hmm. in Sonora. I mean, you don't know that unless we really look. We her ancestors could have been those committing <laughs> those atrocities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so it's very important to actually confirm mm-hmm. that. I mean, a lot of assumptions are made um, by people who want to sort of they're not happy being you know um, Mexican American. They want to be Native American, and so they're trying to push, push, push. And of course. 
you know, I think um, what 50% of Los Angeles is Latinx right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they far outnumber Native Americans in the area. Mm-hmm. They could easily push them aside to to push their claims, you know. And um, I mean, there's this whole movement in um, to sort of substitute Native American with indigenous. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is indigenous? I mean, technically, every human being is indigenous to this. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I imagine they're talking about. Uh, a political status that is tied to um, a native nation that pre-existed colonialism, right? Mm-hmm. But mestizos don't pre-exist colonialism. They are the product of it. Um, mm-hmm. And the same with the Métis in, in, in Canada, you know, and so they, um, so the indigenous native nations um, political organization is, is based completely differently. Yeah, because because I find I find just sometimes you know from what I what I've seen you know on online and everything that it it seems that so many people you know tie you know claims of of native Native Americanism to like identity and they're kind of like pushing aside what you were saying earlier that that it's very much you know like you said it's it's nations it's it was dealing with with treaties with struggles with wars it wasn't it wasn't just about identity this was actually you know whole nations and people groups that were that were having issues here and having the wars and everything and i find that so many people push that aside and they're just like oh it's how i feel you know or something or how, how i feel i have i have this identity it, it's opportunism mm-hmm. I mean, um, and they don't really care about us mm-hmm. if they did they would want to center us you mm-hmm. know and not themselves mm-hmm. and it's so easy on on social media to begin to sort of craft this um identity this new preferred identity right mm-hmm. And so that's um, that's what you see millions of people doing, mm-hmm. and and you know they may not have made it there yet, but they're going to try to make sure that door stays open for them to walk through, mm-hmm. and and that that requires self identification, that requires not asking questions, mm-hmm. and and once you start doing that, then yeah, you will be attacked. I mean, like mm-hmm. I mentioned, a lot of native professionals have lost their careers over this, mm-hmm. and nobody they can't prove it because it was all done behind closed doors, and. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, of course, my the record of my harassment is very, mm-hmm. very public and 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 very um, documented. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really a great difference there. Um, yeah, because I, I saw that online just starting just as soon as your your chronicle article came out. That I, you know, I was no, I was noticing that, and I was thinking, oh man, you know, it's like she's, and, and it's like it's not like you're you're not, you know, it's not like you you don't have any facts to back up your statements. Like you you have exhaustive facts on there. Yeah. Like you know, you have every single thing documented on your stub on your Substack. You know, I went through and I read through that, and I was like, man, this is it. This is impressive, impressive research. <laughs> and we've done that for every person that we investigated. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. so they just uh, they make all kinds of crazy claims about the list. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all it's all black, you know, mm-hmm. Native Americans. And and it's very few black Native Americans because simply in a white supremacist society, um, mm-hmm. white people are given more of the benefit of the doubt to mm-hmm. do these things and more of a platform. Mm-hmm. And so um, they just better at it. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, I mean. And so, uh, yeah, and of course, you know, Black Americans constitute a much smaller proportion of the population than white Americans mm-hmm. do. So, but I mean, it, but even then, it's 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 not that many on the list. But they when they claim, oh, she she changed the list. It was just crazy. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the way it just seemed like it was just it's hysteria, and mm-hmm. also it's people who, you know, I think uh, I, I I view them as in three groups: people who are um, who are you know loudly, particularly Native people who are supporting frauds um we call them defendians right mm-hmm. and um basically one they are in league with the def- with the with the fraud you know they're mm-hmm. somehow benefiting from the con 
Um, or, you know, either they're married to the person or they're, you know, their colleagues and they have some mutual um, sort of shared um, power structure thing going on. And then, um, or they have been completely fooled by the fraud, mm-hmm. you know, utterly, utterly taken in. That's mm-hmm. not very good either. <laughs> and, uh, and then third, that they have um, sort of, um, they have a lot, of, they have some self doubts about their identity and mm-hmm. they actually see themselves in the fraud. Right. Uh, yeah, there's one, a couple of women um, who have written about that. Um, one was in Variety, and she's a white-looking um, woman, but she is legitimately what she says she is. Mm-hmm. You know, her, her grandmother was full-blooded Muskogee Creek. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, part. Uh, or I guess yeah, you know, she's legitimately. You know, she, she might look white, but she's legit. Do you know I mean? Mm-hmm. And yet she's comparing her situation. To that is someone who's 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 completely lying, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that's that's sort of the the harm that colonialism has done to us, you know. Mm-hmm. I think um, a lot of people complain about blood quantum. Of course, the tribes decide that it's their rules. They have, they can change it if they the, if this if the tribal citizens want to change it, it can be changed. That's sovereignty, you know. I don't agree mm-hmm. with it, but there's nothing I can do about other tribes that mm-hmm. I'm not a citizen of. Um, I have no say. Uh, but the other aspect is we have to think about, um, you know, acculturation and and, and white privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a point where, you know, if your family have been removed a very long time from the community, mm-hmm. uh, you no longer share any of the experiences of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's some very well-known um, Cherokee uh, um, folks. And, you know, I respect the Cherokee use their own, you know, they, they use the Dawes rolls. So, you know, mm-hmm. blood quantum isn't an issue. You just have to show an ancestor on the rolls. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the, this, you know, the woman who's being pushed as a major spokesperson on native issues, mm-hmm. her family have not married another Cherokee or any native person since the 1730s. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a long yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, when their ancestor who was on the rolls, he was born in 1790. He uh-huh. was one eighth. <laughs> well, and he married a white woman, and everyone uh-huh. in the family has married white people ever since. <laughs> you know, it's like they're not; ex- they weren't subject to all the things we were. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, fact, you know, her family have been doctors and lawyers ever since. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and even one who ran for governor. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like that person. I mean, yes, they're enrolled. Mm-hmm. But they need to have a sense of proportion about how they're presenting themselves and their and their how they're subject to these laws, right? Mm-hmm. How their family was subject. I mean, her one of her great aunts was the wealthiest woman in Texas because oh. she owned the most slaves. Mm-hmm. Married an English nobleman in the house mm-hmm. of the governor of Texas. Mm-hmm. Is that oh. a normal native family? No. I don't. Yeah. So you know, what I mean, that's a little different. You know? Yes, and maybe she needs to be a little more accurate about that. You uh-huh. know, I mean, the daughter of a doctor, the granddaughter of an attorney. I don't mm-hmm. think she has much no. in common with most Indian people. Do you know I mean? No, yeah, when you're almost three hundred years removed. You know, yeah. <laughs> but she's presenting herself with a full-blown Cherokee identity to the media with no. You know, her mother's white. You know, her father has this Cherokee ancestry. It's like it, she doesn't moderate it. Mm-hmm. And and even myself, you know, I, I, I'm very careful to make sure people understand that, you know, the Navajo Nation is 90% full bloods, mm-hmm. right? So me being half, I'm I'm not normal, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I'm, I'm a non-normal spokesperson. Many, many of them grew up on the res and speak their language, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, And so... 
uh, you know, hundreds of thousands speak the language. I don't. So this, I can't present myself or try to displace native spokespeople who Navajo spokespeople who have that, right. I can only seek to compliment them. And, and then, you know, my dad being mixed blood, you know, he's five eighths Dakota. Uh, my grandfather was three quarters. My grandmother half, you know, I have French, German and English ancestry. I'm three sixteenths European. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so I feel like I have to own that as well. Mm-hmm. Those are two different experiences, full-blooded traditional Navajo on one side, you know, my mm-hmm. grandparents didn't speak English. And then, you know, my my Dakota side, my grandmother is, you know, an Episcopalian church lady, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I need to be accurate about that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, and it's sort of a mixed, very mixed ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so I, I seek to be truthful mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the way I present that and not going to pretend like my ancestors were traditional my, my grandmother was a traditional Lakota woman or something you know what I mean yeah, that's yeah. not true yeah and so um so that's all I ask of anybody else is just accuracy no yeah because that, that makes sense because you know because you know like what we were talking about earlier you know it's like those you know because your ancestry is all of all of their stories as well you know and and so you know when you don't when you don't claim that or or anything you know you're you're hiding you're hiding their experiences as well yeah. And-, yeah, and the real stories are more interesting mm-hmm. and they're beyond what we could assume. Mm-hmm. It's also really fascinating about studying all these pretendian family trees mm-hmm. is that, you know, first of all, you get a much more up close, intimate view of how the land was taken and occupied. Mm-hmm. But you also learn like certain things that happened that you never would have guessed would have happened, mm-hmm. right? It, mm-hmm. it, it pierces your 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 bubble of assumptions or your mm-hmm. whatever, you know, it's uh, and so it's it's really a wonderful um, treat to do it. To, mm-hmm. to review the research. Um, I think for um, after I started the list in um, January of last year, we I got my we, I got a team together of native volunteers, mm-hmm. you know, tribal genealogists, um, researchers, professors, writers, all kinds of people. And we worked on these these trees uh, nonstop for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, uh, we did a lot of work and uh, and all you know volunteer work because a lot of these uh, academics, if they were to propose doing this research um, in their department, it would never get approved. Mm-hmm. Huge resistance to it. And, mm-hmm. uh, wow. and uh, Roz was telling me yesterday that the New York Times reporter that she tried to contact mm-hmm. um, called her back. Mm-hmm. And, and his first question was quite accusatory. Like, why didn't you speak up earlier? And she's <laughs> like, uh, I tried to talk, talk to you. But you didn't laugh, you know? <laughs> She was like, "This has been your story." You uh, you know. Now now they want the real story. Now that it's come out that they didn't do their due diligence, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I saw um, a San Francisco journalist. He tweeted out, "Like, you know, this is a lesson to journalists. You know, don't just, you know, just repeat these sort of fantastical Mm -hmm. stories and then quote each other. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, quote other reporting. Do the actual fact checking. You know." Mm -hmm. But I think um, my next piece for the Chronicle is going to be about what is an Indian, because I think people mm-hmm. don't understand. And so mm-hmm. it makes it easy for them to be misled. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so, uh, so we're going to, I'm going to work on that. And also we, um, I'm doing another Substack, which is going to look at humanizing um, uh, Manuel Ibarra Cruz mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. wife Geraldine Barnett's. And um, and then also address some of these questions like why didn't the sisters come forward earlier? Did I really convince them that they weren't native? Yeah, I don't think so. So yeah, just mm-hmm. do that. And then mm-hmm. some of the 
stuff I, I can't do in the newspaper. I'm going to do on stuff. I, I just started my Substack. Well, I actually started it a while ago, but I just never got around to using it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, because it's it's a very it's a very cool cool program, you know. Because uh, you know, because you know, I, I have a few sites that I write for and stuff. But I was like, oh man, I, I might uh, I might create one of those myself. Because sometimes it's it's cool because you know, not not everything obviously gets published, you know, by yeah. by different places. But this you can actually put out your you know your unfiltered ideas or or articles. <laughs> Yeah, and I felt like with this, it was really important to have all the research out there because mm-hmm. otherwise people are giving a blanket statement and people will challenge it mm-hmm. without evidence. And mm-hmm. so I talked to my editor and I told him I was going to do this. They got the permission from the sisters to publish their genealogy and, and they've read the reports and they, they support everything in it. So mm-hmm. I felt like it was pretty clear, you know, and, um, and so I, I did that. I just felt it was... Also, there's a lot of elements like when I talk about why this matters, you know, mm-hmm. legally in Arizona, why, you know, their great grandfather, Florent, the great uncle Florencio could vote in like the early 1900s, like mm-hmm. the first decade. You know, when my traditional Navajo grandparents weren't able to vote into the 60s after the passage of the Voting Rights Act, mm-hmm. you know, and there were actual real um, um, Arizona Supreme Court state decisions that really um, articulated that Native people were not citizens, mm-hmm. right? Or couldn't mm-hmm. vote. There's all this case law involved with being Native American, like I mentioned, um, Indian federal law and policy that doesn't apply to anybody who is not a member of a tribe. Mm-hmm. And, and often when people are signing the trauma, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, boarding schools and stuff like that, that yeah. only applies to people who were tribal citizens, Jamie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No one else. So like you see, um, sometimes Sachin was getting there, be quoted in articles about boarding schools or ICWA, removal of children from their homes, you know, and she'd be citing the fact that she'd be claiming her parents were both mentally ill and she had to remove from them at three and she had was raised uh, by her, her white grandparents and her sisters are all like, that never happened. No. And also, you know, our grandparents lived right next door. We yeah. were in one household. During, <laughs> they were saying because their mother worked in the salary mm-hmm. shop, the grandmother made all the dinner meals. So they would mm-hmm. go. They would They'd be you know, over they, there all the time anyway. Yeah, uh-huh. they would like you know stay live in their parents' house and then go next door for dinner time, you know. And and then of course their grandfather was paying for their education, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he paid for for Sashin to go to um a two year college there in Salinas, and then um and then at San Jose, mm-hmm. you know, state. Mm-hmm. And so, so I I don't know. She didn't. It's just a, you know, she's sending herself in narratives and news coverage mm-hmm. of things that really she has no place being, but it's all just so that she's there. Do I mean? And put and herself in the center of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need actual reporting that's based on real experiences and um, and journalists not checking their sources. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when I write for outlets, they fact check everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did this one um, recently, well, last year for Condé Nast Traveler and you know, they asked me to write about Yellowstone, you know, the 150th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And, stuff. Mm-hmm. and so I did this huge deep dive. Um, one of my ancestors was born in, the, in what is now the park. Mm-hmm. He was uh, Lakota, Sichanju Lakota. He was born there in 1802. Mm-hmm. And, um, but um, but and I, I was quoting, um, you know, some of the early exhibition ex- expeditions that went into the park, um, your, um, American expeditions. Mm-hmm. And, and then I was quoting from one of the original um, sort of um, new uh, magazine reporting that came out of some of the expedition members um, writing, you know, and, you know, the fact checkers like wanting me to show exactly like the, mm-hmm. the image of where I sport ah. this and everything. I'm like, you can Google it. I mean, yeah. but you know, I have to show the image in the original document, you know, uh-huh. that 
or the published document from you know that era and i'm like okay i have to go into google take a photo send it to them show this really was said mm-hmm. you know? and um yeah i remember doing another one for the nation where i quoted um i said that um you know um benjamin franklin could speak mohawk mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, which was told to me by mohawk people mm-hmm. um he was um he got he was a printer he got the contract mm-hmm. Um, Pennsylvania, the colony to the, or Commonwealth to uh, to publish the treaties, uh, treaty negotiations with the tribes. Mm-hmm. Right? And so part of that was translating the speeches of tribal leaders after, you know, during the conducting of, um, of, of relations. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, um, you know, a Mohawk um, leader told me that, that, you know, that he could speak Mohawk. Wow. That's not something you hear very often. No, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's their point was there's a lot more cultural exchange going on than we acknowledge between, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, um, and so, and the impact that that had on the cultural, the development of democracy and women's rights and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Um, And, uh, and so I put that in the article and the fact checker was like, I need proof. I need proof. Like, (laughs) and I couldn't prove it. So that has to be taken out. That's, Uh, and, um, and it's like, but that's the level that I have to deal with when I'm reporting or writing, you know. Um, but I mean, obviously, this writer for the New York Times did not have to go through that process. <laughs> I said, like, are you are you sure she's Apache? Show me uh, she's Apache. Another, all the different news outlets are are basically um, bombarding the White Mountain Apache tribe with requests, uh, you know. Uh, after the article came out, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, the poor tribe is inundated. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet. Yeah, it's especially, yeah, especially now. Oh, yeah. it's interesting. Like you know, um, you know, going back to what you were, what you mentioned earlier about how, like, you know, how pretendism, pretendism might be like linked to some mental illnesses, possibly or something like that. Like, do you think that that Sachin, you know, with her her mental health issues, like, did she with this kind of fantasy that she crafted for herself? Do you think that, like, did she actually believe the lie? Do you think that she told oh, herself? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's why they, why her sisters felt mm-hmm. that it was a personality rather than mm-hmm. simply, you know, an act, mm-hmm. right? A personality she could enter and go into mm-hmm. the, the multiple personality issue. The um, uh, we uh, looking at this thing. Uh, we we I, in my I have a group that I we sort of talk uh, about the issue a lot, and we. Um, one of our members put a conference on about pretendianism called Unsettling Genealogies uh, in Michigan State. It occurred uh, the end of March to mid-April was online. You can view those YouTube videos um, at the channel for the department there at Michigan State. Mm-hmm. And um, but uh, but yeah, I think um, we really do feel that there is a mental um, disorder component like narcissism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and often we sort of looked at the sort of the dark triad. Um, mm-hmm. which is um, and I, um, um, where three different um, uh, um, sort of uh, things um, are kind of happening at once. One is narcissism. Mm-hmm. One is um, psychopathy. Mm-hmm. And the other one is um, Machiavellian mm-hmm. sort of aspects. So these are definitions in, in psychiatry. And, and so um, there's some idea that, the, that, that all three are going on at once mm-hmm. and, um, and so, and that's why when Native people call out frauds, um, they act so vindictively towards mm-hmm. them. No sympathy for us at all. They don't really care about us, you know. And, and it kind of makes sense, you know, because, you know, one of the, the traits, you know, of psychopathy is, you know, turning turning the same claims on them onto the person accusing them. So it makes sense of, like you said, like Native people being called racist for, for well, that goes right along with psychopathy, you know, that they're... Yeah. 
they're being accused of what they're what they're saying these people are actually doing you know yeah, like the whole darvo response and um mm -hmm. and you see kind of collecto darvoism going on on twitter right mm -hmm. and uh yeah it's um but it's you know it's really i mean you know it's um i i've talked to so many uh native folks professionals and their field and, and they've been really rattled by this and and they're afraid to speak out and that's just that's just so so sad because it, it shouldn't be that way at all especially with an issue like this you know yeah it's just mm -hmm. you know once again the universities and um folks they you know they quote um, equal employment opportunity laws mm -hmm. and stuff as a reason not to deal with it mm -hmm. but and they deny that they're hiring um based on any sort of thing but some of these professorships are actually um, taken from funding that is set aside for minority. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's no question here. But uh -oh. you know, one pretendian in, uh, in Kansas, you know, totally easy to disprove. I mean, his tree is obviously white. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's actually the, um, what's that famous black um, writer? Um, oh, uh, poet um, Langston Hughes. Mm -hmm. The Langston Hughes professor. Mm -hmm. And that professorship is funded in order to bring minority voices to campus. Oh, and they were taking they were taking advantage of that. Oh, got a white guy there who's pretending to be Indian. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, but the university will stay and say, "Oh, we didn't, we didn't at all look at their identity. That has nothing to do with it." You know, oh, uh -huh. and that, and then uh, yeah. So there are folks who are you know who were the funding, or you have um you know museums purchasing mm -hmm. art by pretendians when that from a fund where the money is marked for uh, earmarked for um, a native art right mm -hmm. they're purchasing you know twenty five, fifty thousand dollars pieces of art from a white person play acting the role oh man yeah. oh you know yeah what you know um with you know all of these issues obviously like you said with you know 30 percent you know of uh of americans you know um you know white americans. Yeah. yeah of white americans yes yeah thank you for, for that clarification of white americans uh you know um believing some type of native ancestry you know like what do you suggest for somebody if they truly believe that they have something like wh what is the what is a, a good process for them to to vet those family claims you know or something if if they want to go down that that route and and obviously if they believe it they should vet it before they make any claims obviously they monetize it yes yeah. yes oh speak before the un as our representative uh, yeah mm -hmm. um or on the at the oscars um yeah, yeah i think uh, um well all you have to do is just start you know everyone is like oh ancestry is so bad but no i mean all the records are there mm -hmm. you know once you hit the generation of your family that's deceased mm -hmm. everything is public and so you can see all the records around their life. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and Ancestry also has all the Indian census records. Mm -hmm. And um, so like when you hit a native person who lived between the late 19th century and mid uh, um, mid 20th century, there, um, there are so many records. Uh, they, a lot of the tribes had annual censuses, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so where most Americans, you have um, sort of a census every 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, with native people it's every year so when you hit that relative it's like you know a census for every year the records just pile up and i've used that in my own family um to determine the month of the death of an infant right wow. I couldn't find the death records because you know it's that frequent you know and um because they were a lot of the tribes were still receiving their treaty um, distributions. Mm -hmm. So everyone would um, gather once a year at, you know, the, um, the main um, sort of, uh, you know, 
uh, um, sort of where the where the where the where the federal government was based on the reservation, and they'd all come, you know, bring their wagons, bring all their family, because every family member would get a part of the distribution. So everyone came. Mm-hmm, yeah, was <laughs> everyone was there. But, yeah, and then and then went home, and then you could see where people were living in households mm-hmm. together. You know, if if when a fa- when a husband wife got divorced or separated, you you can see all that. It's, so much documentation. The idea that we're invisible mm-hmm. and that someone could hide out as a white person for 300 years is just completely ridiculous, you know. And or even that, you know, um, Mexican tribes don't know who their own people are is also super racist and insulting. Mm-hmm. You know? um, they do know, I, you know, and uh, it's it, it's not everyone's Sonora is Yaqui any more than it's everyone in Oklahoma is Cherokee. Uh-huh. <laughs> those, those two do not um, do not track with each other necessarily. Oh man. Very good. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, what, what do you, what do you, what would you say, you know, from, from your, um, from your background and your, you know, your, your journalism and stuff, what is, what is the the lesson that you would say that, that people should learn from this whole issue with, with Sachin, you know, Little Feather and, you know, just this, this long story, you know, that everybody believed for, you know, for so long and, and the Academy, you know, totally embraced and, and everything, you know, like what, 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 what takeaway should people, uh, should people get from this? Mm-hmm. I think that first of all, that Native American, American Indian, um, to understand what it really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that it's not just some remote DNA. Mm-hmm. It is not just any person who's indigenous anywhere on, in this hemisphere. It's folks whose land is under occupation by the U.S. government, and that constitutes the lower 48 states of the U.S. You know, it's mm-hmm. a specific thing, and and that we have a political identity and a nation to nation. Um, arrangement with the U.S. government that no one else enjoys. Mm -hmm. I mean, Um, if you're a tribe in Canada or Mexico, Mm -hmm. your relationship is with Canada or with Mexico, not the United States. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, my dad had a cousin who has worked in Canada most of his professional life. He's a Mm -hmm. Yankee tribal member. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the First Nations folks up there uh, don't hold back. They're like, you don't have a right to speak for us. Mm -hmm. You have no relationship with the crown. I mean, Uh you don't have a problem saying that. Uh You know, I mean, it's the same thing here. Do mm-hmm. I mean, these people don't have no standing to speak on these issues because they're not subject to any of the laws that will be impacted by their advocacy, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't, there's no, they, they have nothing, you know, they have no dog in this race mm-hmm. at all. And so as long as people understand what American Indian, Native American people really are mm-hmm. and are not seeking to displace them with really general terms like indigenous, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think uh, th- those are two very um, real litmus tests for what kind of person this wannabe leader is, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and who they're really about. And so I-, I hope that's the main thing that people, and not to be afraid to ask questions. And so my next article will really lay out sort of um, procedures that journalists can use to verify and, and to understand. Because a lot of, I think, um, non-Native journalists, are uh, they don't know the parameters and they're afraid of taking a wrong step. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. so um, the political invisibility and fuzziness of Native people is purposeful by the U.S. government mm-hmm. um, because our uh, political reality threatens the um, existence, the right, I guess, of the U.S. government to the land it claims. Mm-hmm. They want to make our political outlines very fuzzy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we are not DNA. Um, the DNA tests only operate if you are trying to ascertain um, paternity mm-hmm. to a tribal member. Mm-hmm. So like, this is my father, he's enrolled, that kind of thing. 
not like, uh, you know, oh, I, I have American Indian ancestry. That's what, you know, what, you know, 23andMe tests tell me. Because those uh-huh. are, those are um, I think reading Kim Talbert's book on DNA and, and native identity is really important. But those tests um, are, you know, 99.99% of human DNA is the same all over the world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's only these tiny little sections of the uh, of the code that they're looking at where there's more variety, like more commonly found in certain parts of the world. Mm-hmm. But being more commonly found in a certain part of the world doesn't mean it doesn't exist in other parts of the world. <laughs> so it's sort of like it's these are you know guesses, and you can go to different um, corporate outfits to get your DNA, and you will get different results. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it, it, they're guidelines, but they're not hard. And also for tribes, you no D, you can't take a DNA test to determine tribal membership. Because first of all, there isn't enough data, mm-hmm. and um, and tribes don't like to participate in those because of the um, there's a lot of desire to collect our DNA and sell it, mm-hmm. monetize it because it's so rare. Mm-hmm. And um, and then um, the other aspect is that um, that a lot of the the so when you see, you have a whole bunch of people who think they're part Cherokee, mm-hmm. and that becomes part of the database. What you might actually be matching yourself is to other white people who think they're Cherokee. Okay. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, okay. it's, it's not very good. It's very uh-huh. bad, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, so it, it's meaningless in that way. And also, you know, uh, Asian Americans and Native American DNA, it's hard to tell the difference in these tests. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think once uh, recently, like, um, on Finding Your Roots, you know, he he, for, he used to the thing where he would try to match his former guests with each other who was related and stuff. Uh-huh. And it was, like, um, a Mexican-American actress with um, – What's the name of the cellist? Um, the uh, Japanese American cellist. Oh, uh, the uh, uh, Yo-Yo Ma. Yo-Yo Ma. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like you can't tell. I mean, you can't tell the difference, you know. What I mean? <laughs> and so it's just like, yeah, they must be related way back, you know. Yeah, really and, um, but um, but yeah, it's, it's not good. I mean, and uh, so and also we're not races. Mm-hmm. We are. I mean, a native citizen, a tribal citizen, can be of any perceived race. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. We're, a, we're, we're nationalities. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is actually determine that you are, your family were your grandparents. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think as far as like cult, real identity, it has to be within living memory. Your family has to have been subject to you mm-hmm. in federal law and in, in U.S. Indian policies within living memory, not like 300 years removed. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and sadly, with some of these mestizo communities in Mexico, I mean, you know, I, I think when they try to trace it back, it's very, it's like 400 years ago. I mean, they were in an intact Indian community. I mean, before they became a mestizo. I think, I think they need to deal more and embrace the mestizo like this. What does it mean? Do I mean, and, um, and be honest, you know, if, if their ancestors were, um, were um, trying to commit genocide against mm-hmm. indigenous people, even though they, they themselves have indigenous ancestry, mm-hmm. they need to figure that out. Do mm-hmm. I mean, not just try to assume the identity of mm-hmm. those people. Um, and so uh, history is complicated and mm-hmm. it's, we don't always have the ancestors we want. Mm-hmm. It's true. And, uh-huh. and, and it's not to say that people are personally responsible, but mm-hmm. they also have, um, you know, they, they have a responsibility to, mm-hmm. I mean, to, to the truth mm-hmm. um, to try to forge a future where we are honest with each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and to address the reality of the past mm-hmm. and, and and how it plays into the present as far as privilege. I mean, you know, I, I know that uh, Tanya Hasi 
Tennessee Coates, you know, in the Atlantic Monthly years ago, did that report on just how much more accumulated wealth that mm-hmm. white families have than black families. Mm-hmm. You know, this is directly tied to the um, system of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that um, a, um, a high school graduate white family has like, you know, 170 times the accumulated wealth of a college educated black family. I mean, it's extreme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so do these people who are crying about their entirely white family trees and they've been they've been paper victims of paper genocide and they look white and they have white privilege. Mm-hmm. Do they really need to be in to be saved as Indians? Do you know what I mean, mm-hmm. um, I would say no, you know, mm-hmm. and that the system um, institutions like universities and colleges need to stop doing that because mm-hmm. they become pretendian factories. Mm-hmm. And um, so. Uh-huh, man, no, it's and I, I really appreciate you know all the all the um, research that you do and all the information that you put out online and stuff because I I think it's a very important topic and you know and it just it seems you know I think you know with the prevalence of the internet and everything now you know it works as a double edged sword you know you you have the ability to be able to expose a lot of it but then there's also you know the people who take advantage you know can use it to to uh to spread their own their own fantasies you know uh just as far <laughs> yeah and then kind of study us too mm-hmm. and, and then begin to mimic mm-hmm. i do call it also ethnic mimicry you know mm-hmm. um so yeah it's um uh, the human brain and mm-hmm. and and psychology is a really um creative and fascinating thing mm-hmm. um and this is one of the ways it operates to mm-hmm. me and um and i think sometimes telling these stories gives people a sense of comfort you know mm-hmm. even if it's just a small thing like maybe embellishing a story about someone family or being Indian, that kind of thing. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it has, it plays some sort of um, um, kind of like an emotional balm or something on, on a person. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I understand that, but it, it should, I think that when it's gone this far where it's um, it really needs to be reassessed mm-hmm. and, and dealt with honestly, you know, yeah, I, I think what was it? Elizabeth Warren was like, my grandma, my mm-hmm. mam would never lie to me, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it lies if it was just a privately told tale, you know, mm-hmm. to, to your grandchild? Yeah, I mean, uh, pretendingism is is when people actually make it um, their career, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, monetizing. And, yeah, yeah, they're 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 to build clout, to uh, to profiteer off of it, and they put it on their resume. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've mentioned this before in interviews that I have fifty four first cousins, and they are all tried enrolled in federally recognized tribes. Mm-hmm. I would say very few of them put that they're Indian on their resume. I think mm-hmm. just myself, because I'm a journalist, and then my mm-hmm. cousin who serves in the Minnesota State Legislature. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all. Mm-hmm. It's just not common. Like most Native mm-hmm. people just make their careers mm-hmm. being a school teacher, like a uh-huh. school teacher. They don't put it on their resume. <laughs> they're Indian. Yeah, I mean, yeah, some of them, my relatives live on the Navajo Nation mm-hmm. or on the Yankton Sioux tribe, and they, they work for the tribe. Mm-hmm. But it's not like they're going out into the larger world going, I'm an Indian, you know, no. like, <laughs> um, and so that has that to me has a higher level of um um you know of of authority and of, of responsibility and um and, and you need to check it but it's people only see the performers right mm-hmm. so they think that the way they act is normal mm-hmm. um it's not normal you know um, most native people are not out there to be your indian you know, mm-hmm. not, <laughs> you know dressed in big in- earrings with ribbon skirts <laughs> ready to give a prayer and event that's just not normal oh. Mm-hmm. Most people are just standing back going, hmm, this is interesting, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, I have, my grandfather was traditional Navajo, you know, he mm-hmm. was 
My mom said he had a PhD in the Navajo way. He'd been studying mm-hmm. with medicine men since he was five years old. Mm-hmm. He was a hand trembler, very, very good singer. A lot of our healing um, ceremonies are, are done in the form of song. Our mm-hmm. medicine men are called Watathli, which means mm-hmm. singer. Singer is also a very common Navajo surname in English too. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but you know, he never went around like giving prayers to white people at events. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I mean, he would, I mean, cause to them um, in Navajo way, um, you know, the ceremonies are for Navajo people. Mm-hmm. Our prayers are for Navajo people. They're not for anybody else. Mm-hmm. And in fact, other people are considered the enemies, right? Mm-hmm. And sharing stuff with them is, is quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember my mom being at a conference one time is with the American Indian Science Engineering Society. My, my dad was an engineer and mm-hmm. a lot of his family were involved in that um, organization. Mm-hmm. And so she was attending the conference and, um, and she was sitting there with the, Nav- the wife of the Navajo medicine man who was getting, who had been asked to give up and stand up and give a song and a prayer. Mm-hmm. And he got up and he started singing a song in Navajo and she burst out laughing. Navajo is mm-hmm. her first language. And uh-huh. it was a children's song. Uh-huh. <laughs> Asked to give a prayer, gets up and sings, Mary had a little lamb or something. <laughs> and she turned to the wife and she's like, why is he singing that? She's like, we can't sing our actual songs here. Mm. We don't know who's listening. Mm. You know? uh-huh. so this, when uh-huh. I did the um, Bears Ears book, I, you know, what was really extraordinary about it was that there was these five tribes in the Southwest, you know, uh, Navajo, Hopi, Ute, uh, um, uh, Akama, Zuni, who sh- came together and they shared their most sacred stories with each other about Bears Ears. And you, uh, I worked as a community organizer in the Southwest, and and these are intact communities, mm-hmm. right? These, these people still live traditionally, and they speak their languages. All of these languages are different from each other, right? These are distinct nations living side by side, and um, and they don't share with each other. They don't share prayers. They don't do any of that. It's, you know, it's just not done. So someone, but who's going to do that? Who's going to be a performer and go out and do all this Indian stuff? It's going to be a white person pretending mm-hmm. to be Indian. And um, and the study also found that, Kellogg Foundation study also found that um, the white people, mm-hmm. when they see other white people in red face, that mm-hmm. it has an incredibly, it, it fills them with a, it actually raises their self-esteem. Mm. It improves their in-group dynamic. Oh, that's interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, and so, um, and this is in direct contrast to other studies that have been done with um, exposing native youth mm-hmm. um, to uh, native mascots. Mm-hmm. And um, Dr. Stephanie Freiberg, she's the Tulalip tribal member. She did the research at Stanford. Mm-hmm. She found that um, that native students exposed to native mascots experience a steep decline in self-esteem. And That's also um, their ability to conceive of themselves completely of actually achieving their goals, because uh-huh. you, you begin to realize how 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 um, how disconnected you really are from the society and how it perceives mm-hmm. you. Like mm-hmm. I, I meet all people all the time who say, "Well, I didn't know any Indians still existed." I mean, how is that supposed to make me feel like part of this <laughs> society? You know? Uh-huh. So, yeah. So I think um, so. So the the issue of red face, of of mm-hmm. masketry, of um, playing Indian. Uh, pretendianism it's all on the same spectrum and mm-hmm. and i think that it's it's incredibly damaging to native people and um, and then it just simply has to stop and the best way to stop it is to ask questions mm-hmm. yeah. oh 
That's very true. Because yeah, I like I, I find I find the whole subject very very interesting. Because uh, I'm um, uh, I'm in grad school right now for social psychology, and so it's very it's very fascinating just seeing you know the dynamics, you know, because. You know, because you know, with social psychology, obviously, it's 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 like it's the psychology of people groups of you know of how stuff yeah. works. So, so I find I find all this very interesting, and uh, and and like I, said, I I really appreciate you you coming on the uh, on the episode and talking about it. Um, you know, where where can people find your uh, find your work? You know, where can they get your book? Um, how can they follow you? <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I um I'm on Facebook, Jacqueline Keeler. Uh, I have both a personal account and a professional account as a writer. And then I am um, on um, life's the, um, the um, uh, Twitter at JF Keeler. It's the same on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then my, um, uh, what did I just, my sub stack, I think is just Jacqueline Keeler as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, it's, um, I think I might have, um, yeah. So I think, I think in my Twitter, there might be like a whole, like a, a link tree there with different things, sites and stuff. I, I run a blog too, which I don't really maintain much anymore, but it's called Tioshbaya now. Mm-hmm. And um, so, uh, but yeah. And, and on Muckrack, you can see all my public, my, I try to keep it mm-hmm. up to date. I'm not sure how up to date it is, but different mm-hmm. publications I have. Yeah. So definitely everybody listening, go, go check out her, her work. It's, it's very outstanding and definitely check out the, uh, the article on her Substack because like I I went through it the other day and it's, it's very, very informative and really, really interesting, especially if you have an interest in, in history, you know, and how data is collected, you'll really, really like it. So, um, so yeah, thanks again for, for coming on. Um, I really appreciate your time and, uh, and sharing, uh, sharing all this research and this, this really important issue. Thanks for having me.